Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from our homes in Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks. And today, Ada and Melina, youth climate justice activists and advocates. That's right. We'll be joined here shortly by two folks on the forefront of climate justice and activism here in Portland, talking about a project very near and dear, uh, well, to themselves, and I would imagine their hearts and the hearts of many of our listeners. So we're very excited for the opportunity to chat with these two individuals. Uh, As we approach the golden hour what are you up to? How was your week, Joan? What what excites you? What what did you learn since last we've talked? Oh, that is a super deep question, Guthrie. What have I learned? I have been spending some time thinking about the herb garden I'm going to have this summer. So, and I spent Saturday buying plants. I would love to give you an answer that is more connected to uh, bikes or something. <laughs> That's oh, what no, I that's... did on Saturday. I, I spent the day plant shopping for... Well, no, you're, that's amazing. I, I have like so many questions. Uh, is it an herb spiral? What kind of plants did you get? Are you putting the plants that you expect to use more frequently closer to your kitchen? All of these I'd like to know the answers for. Well, I am going to be putting them... So I'm going to do them in containers uh, for a long, complicated having to do with shade and also the soil in my backyard. So I'm going to try it out. Oh, actually, Kimber, who was on the podcast a month or so ago, suggested trying out a bigger herb garden in containers, and then I can move them around. So I have parsley, tarragon, dill, sage, thyme, rosemary, the rest of the Simon and Garfunkel song, uh... What else? I've got I've got a few other things. So fennel, I don't remember. I don't remember, but they're Ooh. all in. Yeah, I don't even know oregano? how to use all those things. Yes, oregano. Nice. Um, I I don't even know how to use all those things in cooking. I don't think, but but I will. Yeah, because when you've got it right beside you, it's easier to use them. And I bought a uh, a small bay laurel tree so that I will have fresh bay leaves. Whoa! So I. A friend of mine told me that if you just, uh, where she grew up in California, where the bay laurels were just, uh, you know, growing wild, that those leaves weren't very good. So I don't know if this kind, I've, I've heard good reviews of these, but I'm excited about that. So if it's not That's awesome. right out, does it taste different? Well, according to the internet, like something? yes, according to the internet, you'll never go back to dried bay leaves. I know whose house I'm sous chefing in the upcoming months. I hope somebody's going to chef because I'm not that good of a cook. So, yeah, if you be the sous chef, we'll find a chef and I'll be like, and here are the herbs from my garden. Somebody do something with that. <laughs> Did you see that trend of people like posting uh, stuff that people like snipped out of their gardens? You know, like there's that like fine line of like, oh, I have like 80 billion bay leaves. I need 10 of them every like two weeks. Uh, versus like, oh, I was really looking forward to that kale, but somebody just snagged it. Garden theft is a, well, right. And like, where's the line between, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, if somebody's hungry, like 
my natural course of action would be, yeah, go for it. Like you probably, you, you picked that because you wanted it. I'm just going to assume. So yes, maybe it all evens yes. out. But, uh, I hope so. But I would say that if somebody is very hungry, I don't think 10 bay leaves are really going to get it done. Mm. And they'll be in my backyard. Please, no one come into my backyard to steal my rosemary. <laughs> Just ask if you really need it. <laughs> so you're saying yeah. that my plan to like start a Yelp uh, restaurant where I basically just pick herbs in route to whatever my delivery destination is through people's yards is not going to work. Oh, you know, I have... I did a class a couple of years ago out of the coast on learning to harvest sea vegetables like seaweed. And I might do another one this spring. And there, there are all these classes on like foraging wild foods. What? Count me in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, if you talk a little bit more about seaweed, I have something to show, not show our audience because I love seaweed. Well, Okay, Ada and Melina are in the waiting room. I'm going to let them in and then they'll come back to the seaweed. Thanks to Ada and Melina for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Um, Yeah. Do you all think that you could introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about how you got involved in climate justice activism? And maybe when you start talking, you can say your name, too, so that people listening can differentiate between you. Hi. Um, So my name is Ada Crandall. Um, Both Melina and I are currently freshmen at Grant High School. Um, We both got involved in climate activism around seventh grade. We went to Harriet Tubman Middle School, which is right next to one of the busiest parts of I-5. So the pollution there from all of the diesel trucks that are going by, um, it makes the air pollution really bad. So we got involved in some legislation that would regulate diesel emissions in the state of Oregon. Um, If Melina, you want to talk more about that or... Yeah, sure. So we got involved through the Environmental Justice Club at Harriet Tubman, our former middle school, like Ada mentioned. And that work really started because of House Bill 2007, which was legislation that would basically regulate um, diesel emissions from like trucks and stuff that were passing through Oregon. And it was legislation that Oregon and Cal—I mean, excuse me, Washington and California had already had before. So we were honestly kind of behind on that. So obviously it was a pretty big deal for the state of Oregon to try and, you know, bring down diesel pollution. And like Ada said, it was important for us, especially since our school is affected so directly by those causes. So we had the amazing chance to go with Neighbors for Clean Air, which is an organization um, fighting diesel pollution in Oregon. And we got to go with them and some students from Lincoln High School to Salem to testify in favor of that bill. So that was kind of what like kicked off our activism, I guess, and it was like the first time we sort of realized, uh, you know, we can make an impact and we have like a voice, you know, and that bill ended up passing. So it was pretty, that like first taste of like, we can, we can get power and we can make a change um, was really important for us. So yeah, that's how we got started. How did that feel? So did you, so you went to Salem and you, did you testify in front of like the legislature or a committee or? So unfortunately we did not get to testify directly to their faces. We did submit a written testimony, but at that time we were able to meet with several legislators and representatives um, in Salem 
Um, there's like a brief meeting with Kate Brown that was kind of awkward and rushed, but it, it happened, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, we didn't get to speak directly to testify, but yeah, we still got to, you know, share our thoughts and our voices a bit. So yeah. Was that, was that a little intimidating or scary or exciting? I mean, I, and I'm not saying that because you're young. I'm saying that because I feel like I would find that exciting and intimidating and scary. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit intimidating. Like we were a bunch of seventh graders in the Capitol building. Like we had never been there before. And there were a bunch of very official looking adults walking around and, and we were kids. And I think that maybe at the time I didn't necessarily like realize how big of a deal that was, but looking back on it, it's like, wow, we were in Salem at the Capitol talking to a bunch of our representatives. Like that's, that's a big deal. When you were talking with your rep, did you feel heard? I mean, the bill passed. Uh, did you feel like they took the activism and the work that you're doing seriously in the context of uh, the passage of that legislation? That's a good question. I think so. But I think a lot of the time people kind of get caught up in the facts that we were kids. Um, and I feel like that was sort of the main takeaway was like, they're talking to middle schoolers and maybe less of sort of like the logistical info that we had to say about the actual legislation. And I think that's the case a lot of the time where it's more just showing the fact that we care about it than the actual facts that we have to say, because a lot of the time they already sort of know that information, but it's seeing that there are, that there are people out there who care about the issues and are engaged in it. So, yeah, so that's really interesting. So did you feel a little bit like it was more like, oh, look at the cute kids here all fired up as opposed to like, here are activists who are concerned about their future on this planet or something like that. Like, did you feel like, yeah, maybe they weren't, yeah, they were more focused on you. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't listening to kind of the substance of what you were saying so much. There was definitely a feeling of that, but I think also going into like that trip or even like um, after that, when we got other opportunities to testify or work on certain projects, we sort of were realizing that and we're like, you know, we should take advantage of this maybe. So (laughs) I think that, yeah, we definitely noticed that, but in the end it sort of turned into, I don't know, like, yeah, we were able to realize that and be like, oh, but this is another way to put pressure on them, I guess, and be like, hey, you would love to, I don't know, be photographed listening to our testimonies or say that you love to hear the voices of community, but what actions do you have to show from, you know, saying, from saying like that you care, but yeah, what is, what do you have to show for that? So when you were thinking about sort of what you'd say or, or how you would present to the legislature, what were some of the things that you considered and, and maybe what did you not get an opportunity to say that um, you would say now or, or you'd say about the future? I think we were definitely encouraged by um, Mary Pivoto, who was from Neighbors for Clean Air. She came to talk to us and she helped a lot with the testimony writing. 
And we were definitely encouraged a lot to sort of talk about our personal stories and like the way that diesel pollution had affected us and our school. Um, because, you know, they, the legislators already know that, that pollution is bad and that, you know, like they know sort of the facts of it, but hearing someone's personal connection to it can be really powerful. And then tying that to back to sort of like the story of self, the story of us and the story of now, which is like why we need action on that was kind of the framework for the testimony that we were writing then. And also for other projects we've worked on as well, that framework has sort of carried over. Yeah, I think another thing to add, um, you asked about like what we would change. It's kind of funny, sometimes we were preparing for, I think another event we were speaking at or something, and we were looking back at the first time we testified, I think this exact Salem trip, and we were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we phrased that that way or that sounds so weird. And it was kind of funny being like, you know, a lot of kids are, would look like back at their old Instagram stories or maybe journal entries. And we were looking back at like being nostalgic about old testimonies we had written. Oh, was, that's so um, awesome. Kind of a funny experience, but yeah, that just kind of really. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry that you're having to do this work, right? Like that, but, but, you know, to be able to reflect on, oh, look at this testimony we gave back when we were little in seventh grade (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's pretty great well speaking of issues that where you have personal experience to share um the issue that's that's near and dear to my heart and I know you all have spent a lot of time uh working on is the issue of the i-5 freeway expansion so can you talk a little bit about that and the work you've been doing I know um Ada, I heard you testify to, I can't remember, it was within the past couple months, but um, I heard you giving testimony and uh, it was it was like Oregon DOT or one of the committees and we only had a minute and you had like this perfectly scripted, exactly one minute long, like it was just, it was, it was, and it was, it was just so smart and it was perfect and you just got in there. You said what you needed to say. It was great. It was some of the best testimony I heard that day. But so can you talk a little bit about the issue and how you got involved and how it has impacted you like specifically at school? Yeah. So after um, House Bill 2007, which was the diesel regulation bill passed, um, that definitely felt like a major victory, like in terms of trying to better the air quality at Tubman. Um, And then we were really excited about that. And then afterwards, we learned that the Oregon Department of Transportation had this big proposal to actually expand I-5. The goal is technically that they want to reduce traffic, which in the long run won't be effective. And there are a lot of studies that have shown that. um, But that's still kind of the claim that they're making, when in reality, it would just increase the pollution at our school. And it sort of felt like, oh, we put all of this work into trying to help pass this legislation to regulate diesel emissions. And then we turn around and like the state government wants to make the situation even worse. So we started testifying to the Metro task force for the project. And we went a couple times, like as the Harriet Tubman Middle School Environmental Justice Club, people definitely... I think people listened and 
I don't know. Their reactions were really interesting to see because there were definitely times like when we were testifying and we were saying like this proposal threatens our future and we're worried about our siblings and their friends and future generations of Tubman students. And they would like literally avert eye contact and just wouldn't even want to look at us. And then later they would come and try and like stand in the background of photos and stuff and look like they were supporting us, which was really frustrating when that's not being matched with actual action. Right. So do you feel sort of like they know you're right? maybe or you get that impression like are they they know that this is true or I think that obviously like as 14 year olds and 15 year olds we don't really like we know that we don't understand the full complexity of like this big government project but in the simplest terms like we're in the middle of a climate crisis and 40 percent of our state's carbon emissions come from transportation so it's pretty clear that expanding a freeway is not what we need to be doing. And I think that at a base level, everyone does know that, but there's all of this sort of complicated political stuff involved in it. That was a bad phrasing, but I don't know. I think they know technically that it's wrong. Could it be said that you know, in the attempt of folks to have photographs taken sort of in conjunction with the work that you're doing, there is a situation where maybe it's easier for public officials to show a certain posture or to posture themselves with you rather than sit down and do the hard work that's needed to get us out of this situation? Yeah, for sure. I I just want to say, I don't think that the reason that you don't understand this is because you're 14. I think the reason that you don't understand this is uh, the same reason I don't understand it. And that's because it's, um, it's a situation that seems to be about a lot of money. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I can't explain it. I mean, I don't totally understand it either, because I think it seems... Like what the what the what the research shows, like what you said that you know, uh, increasing highways just induces demand. It just creates more traffic. So expanding highways makes the problem of traffic worse, not better. And and there's a lot of research showing that this isn't going to solve the problems that it's supposed to address. So then it's like, well, why are they doing this? Who's who's paying them to support this and how is that working? But that's I think that can be equally baffling and, and frustrating, you know, as an adult, not just not just when you're when you're young. Yeah, like there's no magic thing that, that you learn. <laughs> it's just kind of, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, right? Because it seems completely cynical that this is that this is happening, you know, especially right now with the state budget problems, and yet, you know, this is still going forward. So, what are some of the things that you've done um, as part of? I I know you've both. I think you're both involved with Sunrise. Is that right? Um, and so what are some of the th- ways that you have been involved in, in, um, in, in this issue, in activism on this particular issue? Yeah, so as Ada mentioned earlier, we are students at Grant now, so technically we don't attend um, Tumna anymore. But obviously we're still very concerned about this cause. 
um, as you know, we still know many people there and our younger siblings and their friends um, are still going to attend Tubman. So we've been trying, uh, doing our best, you know, to still work at this cause. And we've had a couple um, meetings with Tubman students and staff recently. And um, Aaron Brown, who I know most people know, <laughs> um, talking about like next steps for yeah, taking action against uh, the freeway expansion. So it's been great to like work with new students at Tubman and sort of been like sharing the not whatever knowledge we've had in what our two years of working on this project. But um, yeah, that's where we're at now. And I think we're working on holding an event actually in conjunction with uh, Nomer Freeways PDX and Sunrise and the Harriet Tubman EJ or Environmental Justice Club that is coming up in April. I think, Ada, would you like to speak on that? Because I feel like you've been working more closely on this, but yeah. Yeah, so I also don't know a ton of details about that event because we haven't sat down and actually had a planning meeting for it, but it's just been something that's been, like, it's in the process of being discussed and planned, but it's basically we're just trying to get current Tubman students, like, engaged in it, especially because when last school year ended because of COVID, we didn't really have time to like pass on the torch to other students who would be there this year. It all just ended very abruptly. Um, And everyone in the Environmental Justice Club at Tubman, everyone who had been working on opposing the Rose Quarter expansion, we all graduated. So none of us go there anymore, except for like one or two people. So we've been trying to like bring Tubman students back into it and hopefully this event this rally in april will will help with that so basically the rally is to celebrate the launch of no more freeways lawsuit against odot for essentially lying about the size of the freeway they haven't actually released those numbers and basically there's all this speculation that they could actually be expanding it a lot more than they say they are which would only mean that the pollution is going to be worse. So yeah, we're going to have a rally and we're going to have speakers from Tubman, hopefully some current students, some former students, staff members, community members, just to sort of like also to kind of unite all of the different groups who have been working on this project. Because I do think it's important that we're all kind of on the same page about it. And it's going to take a lot of different people working to to stop this freeway. But we need to show that we're, you know, like we're, we're definitely stronger together as a whole sort of coalition of different organizations working on it. And hopefully this rally will be able to demonstrate that. Speaking of coalitions, uh, I'd imagine that you've done a little bit of coalition building yourself. You've mentioned all of the organizations involved in the work that you do. Um, is there anything that like you have learned through that process? Any surprises? What what is uh, unique and like interesting to you about that compared to I'd say like now and when you started with it? What are some of the things that you've learned? So yeah, I had never really done anything like um, the Environmental Justice Club at Tumbin for. Uh, so that was a completely new experience, I think, for myself and for Ada, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot learned in that experience. But an amazing thing from that is taking it over to Grant now, um, because 
now in high school, it's been really interesting. Grant sort of had an EJC, but now it's mostly composed of freshmen and being led by us freshmen. So it's been interesting, yeah, sort of learning. I guess the main thing is learning how to work with so many different types of people and kind of appreciating that you get to work with a diverse group of people because obviously, you know, it can be frustrating, maybe the work you're doing or you're not just like, not everyone's on the same page, but a main thing I've taken away is like appreciating all the different uh, like opinions and points of view and seeing how everyone like Ada was saying with the Sunrise group, No More Freeways group and Tumman group, how when everyone works together and sort of can combine those ideas, everything just runs so much smoother and you come out with a way better, say, end product than you could have imagined. So, and yeah, for me, that's been amazing because that recognition has sort of been able to apply to all aspects of life, you know, whether it's like a school project or even like with my friends, like, yeah, sort of just appreciating, like, a diversity of views and opinions and people. Um, yeah, that's been a cool takeaway for me. It's really interesting to hear you both talking about, um, you know, here you are, these, like, experienced activists who are mentoring younger activists and and actually even mentoring maybe older activists, it sounds like, in Grant as, as freshmen sort of taking on leadership roles. And how does how does that feel? Does because that how does it feel to be at Tubman sort of working with the students who are who are a little bit younger than you and then also having a leadership role with the students who are a little bit older and because you do have a pretty significant depth of experience with this now yeah I think it's really cool I also feel like I am constantly learning from like other activists that I've worked with and I don't know it's it's a nice sort of cycle of like we're all teaching each other and we're all constantly learning from and being inspired by one another Um, and that's how our movement grows too is by talking to people and bringing new people into the movement and then sort of like training them up on organizing skills, which everyone is still like constantly in the process of learning. And that's something that I've really enjoyed about Sunrise in particular is that it's definitely a community of like, of learning from one another and bringing together like all of the different skills and experiences that each person has and building our movement out of that. I know that um, the work that you are doing, that specifically you two and the testimony that you've done and the activism you've done has been inspiring to activists and folks who are adults who are much older, who have seen um, the energy and passion young people are bringing and are motivated, inspired by that. Um, but at the same time, activism isn't always glamorous. Sometimes it's a real slog, right? Sometimes you're sitting there waiting on your phone in a waiting room or in a Zoom room waiting for your chance to testify. And so, um, and it can take a lot of time. And so, when when it's not glamorous when it is a slog and when you know you've got school and friends and all these other things you want to be doing and like chores um what what inspires you to keep doing this work well actually when ada was answering that question about sort of being able to mentor i guess in a way like younger students or even older students i think that's 
sort of related to how I'm able to like, you know, keep working on my activism because seeing how I'm able to even make the smallest impact in getting maybe like a nine-year-old interested in joining their environmental justice club or being able to share information with maybe a junior who um, had never heard about the freeway expansion before. Like those sort of things make me so excited for the future and like how much I guess everyone around me and even myself has been able to learn in a short period of time. Like that inspires me so much to just keep working in sort of being able to look back and recognize the progress that we have made. Like even if it was, seems like a small thing, just recognizing that progress sort of helps me, I think, keep moving forward, you know, and realize that the work we're doing is important and yeah, that definitely encourages me a lot. How do your families uh, react with the activism that you do? Are, are they, you know, do they acknowledge it? Do they inspire you to do it? Or what happens? I mean, my family definitely, um, yeah, they're all for it. I mean, definitely in, have inspired me as well. We're a big, like, Viking family, you know, um, so... <laughs> I've always been kind of, I guess, trying to be aware of what's happening around our city or hearing about things from my parents. So it's been kind of cool to sort of be immersed into this world. And then I also have a younger brother who's going to be entering Tubman, I guess, next school year. So I've definitely been pushing for him to get involved in the club. Obviously, you know, in a very encouraging um, growth sort of mindset, you know. But, uh, um, yeah, I think that it's been great to share this with my family and sort of feel like we're all growing together. I could just imagine you being like, no pressure, but you really need to join this club next year or I'll be super embarrassed by you. But no No pressure. pressure. It's fine. It's up to you. It's your choice. (laughs) (laughs) But if you ever want me to talk to me again, you know. (laughs) Um, About last night's dishes, you know, that was, (laughs) yeah. We use different yeah. methods in our activism, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A range of tactics. <laughs> it's all about finding what's effective and then going with it. Yeah. Um, in regards to sort of the media coverage that you've gotten so far, we sort of talked a little bit about the age effect, and I have another question related to that slightly after this one. Uh, I'm curious for what's been covered so far for your involvement, for your personal values within the work that you've done. Um, is there anything that they haven't gotten right? Is there anything that they could do a better job of in reporting your viewpoint and really what you're trying to put out there into the world? Um, I do wish that sometimes they would give us a little bit more of a platform to talk about the issues beyond our involvement as kids. Um, Because oftentimes, you know, they'll use like one or two quotes or like a couple seconds of talking. And I think that often what works best for their narrative is to have us sort of say one of those lines about like, we're kids, we shouldn't have to be doing this. Um, And I do think that that kind of thing is really powerful, but it is also sometimes frustrating that that's the main part that they use. Um, And they don't necessarily give us a platform to talk more about the specific issues. 
what would you like to talk about? How can we record what you're looking to put out there for posterity? I think I would say in terms of, you know, if you want to get involved or what sort of work that we'd love to see, I guess, in our communities is just no matter if you're, you know, if you're an adult or if you're a kid, the best place to start is within your own home, within your own school, workplace, community, and sort of recognize that you can make change, you know, no matter how small um, it may seem to you. Um, all that stuff matters and sort of also along with that, recognize those around you who are also starting that process of, you know, whether it's trying to get into activism or just looking within like themselves of how we can make each other better, sort of recognize everyone around you and all voices and opinions, especially of those who maybe are more vulnerable or haven't gotten chances to speak up maybe before or people that you haven't yet had a chance to recognize in your communities like those are the voices that you really want to hear and are going to be most important moving forward so yeah I guess just recognize your own power and the power of those around you to really create the change I guess that you want to see yeah and in terms of like the future and what I want to I don't know, see in a couple decades is honestly, Ada and I were talking about this before the call and we we're just like, wouldn't it be great if our kids, you know, we love this work obviously. And we're, we love what we are able to do and the impact we've been able to make, but you know, we are kids <laughs> and it would be amazing if, you know, the generation after us didn't have to constantly worry about, you know, whether or not it will be ethical to even have children because you might be putting them into a world that is just going to die or whether or not you have time to, to hang out with your friends or go to baseball practice or whatever, because you have to testify in front of a Metro task force. Like those are things that I don't want my kids to have to worry about. So in terms of the future, I think, yeah, that's where you want to be. That is incredibly wise. Thank you. Ada, anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, so like adding on to what Melina was saying um, about sort of like people who might be looking to get involved with activism or like not know where to start. I feel like I personally was really lucky to have teachers and family members who sort of made me realize the power that I do have even as a young person and I feel like the vast majority of kids don't have that and I've been incredibly lucky and so I do in a way sort of feel a duty to like pass that on to to other kids and especially like younger Tubman students to make them realize that their voices do matter especially in climate justice or any issue that they're passionate about. And I think that without some of like the teachers and sort of mentors that we had, we wouldn't have been able to get involved in a lot of the work that we've done. Um, and I feel like just making, just making that more accessible to more people is really important. And just, I feel like politics in general, it's often so convoluted and it's like purposely framed in a way that makes it really hard for the public to get involved and to understand the issues. 
sort of like what we were talking about earlier, like the freeway fight is just, there's so much complicated stuff going on that ordinary people don't feel like they, like what they have to say matters in that. Um, Cause if you feel like you're not smart enough or not good enough. And a lot of the time it's like that intentionally so that people can't get involved in it. Um, which is really frustrating. And I feel like what you're saying about like, what is the world that you would like to see in the future? I would like politics and things like that to just be generally more accessible. Um, and for everyone to know that they can get involved if they want to, and if they're interested in it. Um, yeah, instead of it being just like only the most educated people who are able to dedicate all of their time to this, it shouldn't be controlled by just the people at sort of the top of the pyramid. Everyone should have a say and everyone should know that they can have a say. Yeah. I'll co-sign that. That sounds great. If people want, um, so I did want to say that um, when when the um, details for the event that's coming up at Tubman are finalized, which I should also say I uh, am going to be helping out with that event a little bit myself. I'm going to be one of the adults, I think, helping out. Or not, I don't want to say one of the adults, one of the people helping out. Um, you're, you're uh, youthful at heart, Joan. Yeah, well, I don't. I think Ada Molina know, and I have mentioned on the podcast before that my uh, one of my kids went to Tubman. I was a year ahead of you two, although it was it was not and is not the activist that you are uh, that you all are. But um, yeah, and that's my neighborhood too. So this is an issue I care a lot about. But um, when we when the uh, details are finalized, we can share information on the podcast. But in the meantime, if people want to learn, if our listeners want to learn more about the issues that you all are working on or Sunrise, where can they go? What are the websites or accounts or places where they can get more information? For I-5 specifically, the No More Freeways website has a lot of great information. Erin does regular sort of like update posts and has an email list and everything. And then also, if you're interested in like opportunities to testify or get involved with that, the the expansion project itself also has a website with like all of the upcoming events and meetings to testify at. Awesome. And for our longtime listeners, too, if you're looking to take a deep dive, we have talked with Aaron Brown of No More Freeways PDX in past episodes, as well as Chris Smith, who I believe is related to some of those efforts as well. So I'll try to put those episode numbers in the show notes. Uh, Ada and Melina, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come talk with us. Um, I'm guessing you probably hear this a lot, so I'm going to say I find the work that you do very inspiring. As somebody who didn't really start thinking about this type of thing until I was 18, uh, I'm going to say thank you, and I'm also going to say the responsibility is also on me to keep thinking about these things, even as a ripe old 31-year-old, and to use that as a way to continue charting my path in life. So uh, you give me energy, and I hope that uh, you have the most success possible in the work that you do. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with us this evening. Thank you both a lot. It was great to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank if, you so much. This yeah. is yeah, so, so great. Thank you. How freaking cool is that? <laughs> that was great. Um, and I think the best part of it was when they joined us. Uh, Guthrie, you were running up holding seaweed. <laughs> 
and it was just like, look at my seaweed. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of seaweed. It's this kind of a big deal. <laughs> it is. I have, um, so the seaweed that I harvested two years ago, um, I have used none of it. <laughs> Wait, do you dry it hey, out? Uh, you need help with that, Joan? You want, you want a little bit of help with that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could send you a, send you a, a care package of, of seaweed. Yeah, so I did. I went out to the coast with a friend a couple of years ago and did this great workshop. And then uh, we dried it outside. And then I don't really know what to do with it. So apparently my wild food foraging, you know, there's the, it's just like with my herb garden. I can grow these things, but they're not going to do me any good if I don't know how to use them. <laughs> so, so, you know, I guess uh, if listeners want to send me their seaweed <laughs> recipes, you can. <laughs> I'm going to send you some seaweed recipes. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, hey, even if you don't use, oh, uh, even if you don't use your herb garden as often as you anticipate to, hey, putting it there in the first place means that you'll use it more. It's more than nothing. And you'll also be nitrogen fixing and adding, you know, good, healthy, clean air to the atmosphere. So I'm I'm always nitrogen fixing. Yeah. (laughs) I I will say I do have, I mean, so last year I had a rosemary thyme and, oh, and then I had basil last summer. And I do, I use that all the time and I've used them year round the things that are still around chives that's another thing i have i'm just yeah. remembering now I'm remembering are you doing scallions you doing some onions well no because... seaweed oh well can you do that in containers though i think of that as something oh, you should do yeah. but you know i'll i'll try whatever in a container i guess nice yeah, yeah well, uh, uh, i'd look Look, I don't know. Okay, so this is the argument that a friend of mine made. They were, because I live pretty close to a really good grocery store, and I can walk over there and get just a range of in-season local produce. Uh, But if I just want, you know, sometimes for a recipe, you want like one sprig of thyme, right? And so having the garden means I can just go out there and get it myself and getting just that one little bit at the grocery store can be very inconvenient. And sometimes it's really expensive. So, so, uh, so I'm going to try this year expanding my, Oh, parsley. Did I mention that? Yes, I did. I said something about Simon and Garfunkel. Um, Can we post photos of this? I'm actually, I'm going to just assume you're going to social media this in some regard, but like I I would subscribe to those updates. (laughs) Just, you know, I do have, I do have an Instagram account where I just post photos of my house plants. (laughs) Maybe I should start another one. That's just photos of my herb garden (laughs) for every, for every aspect of my life. I can just have, start a new Instagram account. (laughs) You're so right though. Like I know that we kind of like make light of the life hacks section of this, but I think it's a real big life hack to grow your own, uh, things that you use infrequently in the kitchen, but you still use them. And, mm-hmm. you know, from the standpoint of, oh, I was going to say dill. You were talking about stuff that, like, you buy at the store. Whenever I go to buy dill at the store, I buy 95% more dill than I need. And it's fortunate <laughs> for me because I love dill. So I just toss the whole freaking thing in. 
But at the same time, it would be convenient to actually use the amount that the recipe says one of these years. And it's hard to do that if you can't pick it out of your garden. Peppermint. So I'm going to have some mint and everybody says you, the thing you have to be careful about with mint is that it's really invasive. So you grow it in a container, but mint is another one where it's fantastic, fresh, and it, you know, can be a little bit, it's hard to buy in small quantities. So yeah, also every five minutes, I'm just going to mention some new herb (laughs) that I just remembered that I bought. (laughs) Oh, and then the, and then there's some others that I'll get, you know, as it, as it warms up a little. So as you get to, you know, like I'm assuming you're going to do the container method and you're going to figure out like, oh, okay, sweet. I went through six containers of uh, parsley, but I went through zero containers of, you know, something. Um, have you heard of herb spirals before by chance? Um, and also you probably have people giving you books all over the place, but there's a book I feel like you'd like. What's herb spirals I'm looking up, but what's the book that you want to recommend? Oh, the book is Gaia's Garden, uh, and I've got a copy of it here, so I'm actually happy to lend it to you if you'd like. Uh, It's a little bit based within the school of permaculture, uh, but the theory is that you can have these different guilds of uh, herbs that actually really like growing right next to each other, so they'll make each other healthier, and then the spiral effect allows you to have things that you use more frequently up towards the top and things that you use less frequently towards the bottom. Uh, It doesn't have to be huge. Usually it's like a two foot or a three foot by like two foot sort of deal. Um, But uh, once you get to that place where you're like, oh, this is the amount I use of this. And it's kind of like that yearly observation can be a really handy way to have one container close by that sort of incorporates all of your most favorite used herbs. I am looking at pictures of herb spirals right now and I love it. It's yeah, they're like literally spirals like ramps Um, yeah the spirals take advantage of the water effect uh watering from the top it sort of gets the water down into the divot that water slowly percolates to the bottom of the structure um so you have really good hydration moisture sort of uh effects and you can water certain parts more or less depending on the moisture choices for each of those plants uh but just wanted to like throw it your direction because i know that you didn't take me but maybe you didn't take me seriously at the beginning of the show but like i take my herbs pretty seriously (laughs) no i did i did i think you are very sincere uh has has there ever been a sprocket podcast episode on permaculture uh no but i'd love to get some folks in and talk about it yeah yeah i'm sure we could i think permaculture is a life hack yeah it sure is it sure is I'm, yeah. I'm permaculture certified, but it's been a little while, so I need to brush up a bit. There's some there's some really neat folks here in Portland. We could certainly take a talk mm-hmm. with about it. Mm-hmm. Yep, lots of interesting things going on there. So yeah, and you know, it's like one of the things you can save yourself time running all around town when you just have some of this stuff right there at home. So and it Most can be definitely. really satisfying to grow things. So yeah, yeah. Well. I may not have an herb spiral in my apartment, but you know what we do have this week? What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. Pedal just as fast as we can into the morning light. Pedal just as fast as we can into the daylight. 
air quality sores in school streets that banished cars. From the Times of London, a report on new research that showed that, quote, closing roads around schools to traffic pickup and drop-off times has cut toxic nitrogen dioxide levels by up to 23%, end quote. After pollution sensors were installed at 18 primary schools in London, and then streets were closed right around the school at half. This, this is uh, recent news and um, seemed right in line with the kinds of things that Ada and Melina are, are working on. So uh, the other, the article I saw uh, this week that was pretty interesting was um, what happened to pickup trucks? Uh, this is by pedestrian safety expert Angie Schmidt. It was in Bloomberg City Labs. Uh, quote, as U.S. drivers buy more full-size and heavy-duty pickups, these vehicles have transformed from no-frills workhorses into angry giants, and pedestrians are paying the price. Uh, end quote. This article is a, a great overview of the change in truck design over many decades and the implications of that for safety of people in cars and people walking. Um, and Angie links this to some current political issues and mentions the concept of petromasculinity, which I talked about a few months ago and uh, is a word that I am not using nearly enough. So it was a delight to come across it. You know, when Space. Oxford Dictionary recommends, you know, they're like, the year <gasps> of the word is like, uh, I don't know what this year's of the word. I feel like this is a missed opportunity is what I'm saying. It should have been petromasculinity. I don't know, what, you know, maybe it was COVID-19, but it should have been petromasculinity. Certainly, it's a very important concept, and I think I will uh, start, no, I'm not going to really start a writing campaign to get that to be the next <laughs> word of the year. <laughs> uh, hey, you know. But, but let's just start Be the change you want to see, Joan. Be the change yeah. you want to see. <laughs> well, I'm going to start in every, every podcast now. It'll be like, so yes. permaculture, how does that relate to petromasculinity? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm sure it is related somehow. Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah. From frontiergroup.com, less traffic, more death. A bizarre 2020 should make us rethink our transportation priorities. Thanks to new data from the Federal Highway Administration, we now know just how many cars vanished from the roads. Americans drove 13.2% fewer miles in 2020 than the year before. On average, Americans drove less last year than in any year since 1989. Hey, that's the year I was born. Even as the number of miles traveled on American roads fell in 2020, the number of traffic deaths rose by 8% to more than 42,000, with an estimated 4.8 million injuries requiring attention from a medical professional. The estimated cost of all these deaths, injuries, and property damage from crashes, $474 billion. That's a lot. That's It's really bad. You know, I I just... Just today, uh, a grad school friend of mine told me that her sister died in a car accident over the weekend. I mean, just this, we are so accustomed to driving our cars that we feel, I think, a level of safety in them that doesn't actually reflect how dangerous these things are. I think a lot of us as pedestrians, or if we're on our bikes, we're very aware of their power, but um, we're so vulnerable as people in cars and because of people in cars. And yet 
it's like we accept this, you know, we, we, um, you know, what's the, what's the vaccine for traffic deaths and why don't we have the government spending all of, not all of it's, you know, putting huge amounts of resources into, into solving this. I think, I think, um, traffic deaths or car accidents or car crashes are like one of the leading cause of deaths for children mm-hmm. and for, yeah, it, well, it's an it, epidemic. Know. Yeah, and sort of talking about the uh, just the murky murk of the politics of it, like it's it's both structural, it's cultural, it's everything in between. Um, it is endemic, uh, and I have a personal story to sort of highlight this. This afternoon, I was going by to pick up beverages, uh, some yerba mate from our sponsors, the blank mongers we'll say the name next week but this week is our water sponsored episode and uh they have some bike racks that were just being used as i guess like barriers to the fence that has the outside patio in a small six car parking lot and uh nobody was using them so i rolled up and i get ready to lock my bike to it uh you know if somebody were to back out of a space i would be roughly 10 feet behind them um and one of the patrons uh, present sort of gave me a bit of advice, which was, hey, don't lock there. You know, these these fences have been hit. These these uh, bike parking things have been hit. And from their perspective, um, they were just trying to be helpful and to merely state that maybe if you don't want your bike to get wrecked, uh, that's not a good bike rack to, rack to lock your bike to, even though it said, like, bike rack on it. Um, and I sort of demurred and said, well, you know, is it a problem for you? Or, you know, I'd hope that they'd check their mirrors before parking into my bike. <laughs> it's insured and such, but I, I would kind of expect somebody who's driving to be competent enough to not hit my bicycle. It's locked to a bike rack in, in a designated location. Um, and so I ended up moving my bicycle over, you know, 15 feet to the actual, you know, permanent bike rack. Um, but it did make me... I had a bit of a gruff response because uh, from my perspective, you know, if you are not able to back up 10 feet in a parking lot and not back into a human and not back into a fence and not back into a literally standing still object, um, I'm just going to be frank. I don't think you should drive. I know that society depends on it and that's our norm, but I don't think you should drive if you're not capable of doing that maneuver. Um, at the same time, earlier this week, I shared internally with Sprocket somebody who decided to drive through one of the pedestrian corridors in a neighborhood nearby to me and took out not one, not two, but three picnic benches in their attempt to do so. So it's like, yeah, it totally happens. Um, but from an outdoor leadership standpoint and you know, keeping participants safe, I, I feel like a broken wheel when I say the most dangerous thing anyone can do is get behind a wheel to go do what you're doing doesn't matter rock climbing skiing mountaineering cross-country skiing hiking rafting whatever like you might feel like that's dangerous but guess what the most dangerous thing you do is get there um so i think it's just on us to recognize the privilege that driving is and also to work to change that culture in a way that's non-confrontational if possible um but consistent and uh consistent over time it's it might lead to some gruff conversations with people trying to be nice to you about the fact that your bike might get run over uh but i think it's worth it i'm okay having those gruff conversations yeah i mean I sort of hope we're preaching to the choir, but maybe our choir needs to start preaching to, maybe we all need to start preaching to not the choir. 
I mean, I definitely wasn't preaching to the choir with the folks I interacted with this afternoon, but at the same yeah, time, true. you know, if you consider yourself part of the choir, um, I just want to empower you to keep preaching. Like you don't need anything from us. You know, the deal you're listening to an alternative transit bicycle focused podcast. Uh, this is what it is. Uh, so yeah, I, I want to empower. Yeah, folks can't be, listening. It can't be seaweed and herb gardens every week. You know, yeah, sometimes sorry, we got to get some stuff done. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we, we got to work on syndication for that. So that's a future chamber idea, but you know, in the meantime, you can advocate for sensibility and the fact that if somebody can't back up 10 feet and not hit a like literally inert object in the process of doing so, maybe things should change and uh, we can be the change that we want to see as so inspired by our guests earlier. Whew, yes, here, 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 here. I feel like I need a cowbell to ring. Armando, ring the cowbell. <laughs> Where's that on your board? <laughs> More cowbell. More cowbell. Oh, okay, we'll get that in next week. Um, there is no mail this week, which means that you have made it again yet to the end of another episode of the Sprocket Podcast. I'd like to thank co-host Joan for joining this eve. It's been a pleasure to have an episode with you. I feel like it's been a little while. It's been a little while, but it's uh, nice to see you as always. And uh, to hear, I was going to say to hear what's going on with you, except I think we mostly talked about me. Oops. Oh, no, I feel like I sprinkled <laughs> my personal details in plenty this week. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and thanks to Armando for recording. Thanks to our listeners for listening. And uh, if you have comments, you can call or text 503-847-9774. Don't make me send a physical letter to Brock so that we have mail next week. You should tell us what we should talk about. We're listening, <laughs> and we want to give you a platform because uh, we value you, and we think you're really smart folk. So thanks for writing if you choose to do so. We think uh, you're super who, smart because you've hung out this long listening to us. Yeah, <laughs> you, you should get like a whole five timers badge just for hanging on to the end of this episode. That's how much we love you. <laughs> Wait, there are five timer badges? Oh, no. Oh, I shouldn't have let on. <laughs> oh. Um, we'll see you next week. We're going to hit the outro. And as always, let us know your thoughts. Uh, this is your show as much as ours. And thanks for listening. It's produced at home until we can gather safely indoors. Remember indoors with other people? But what is that? Our website is sure. thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lane, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Doug Cohen Miller, Todd Parker, Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado. Drew the Welder, Anna, Andre Johnson. King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. What? 
Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Nice bike fids, by the way. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. Emma Rooks, Kaka. Kaka! Marshall, Paula at Funitaki Cyclecraft. Philip M, Spartan Dale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Heyman. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G, Rachel Moline, Dan Gebhardt's sister. And welcome back. Boy, we, we've sure been very welcoming. <laughs> welcome back to our newest returning donor, Jimmy Diesel. Jimmy Diesel, welcome back. And to all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>